for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong after the 8.30 news. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine, hot during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 32 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. And it's going to remain very hot with sunny periods in the next few days. There will be a few showers earlier next week. It's 27 degrees right now, 82% relative humidity. Just gone 8.30, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The United States Treasury says it'll borrow a record three trillion U.S. dollars between April and June in order to cope with the economic fallout from the coronavirus. This huge increase in borrowing is needed to fund the government's pandemic relief programs for individuals and businesses. Here's the BBC's Barbara Plettusher. This is an extraordinary sum, $2.999 trillion. And it's a stark demonstration of how quickly the government's financial situation has changed. Three months ago, before the virus caused widespread shutdowns, Treasury was projecting that it would be able to pay down $56 billion in debt during this quarter. There was no hint that instead it would have to borrow trillions more. The huge amount is needed to pay for programs to protect workers and businesses, and it seems the debt will continue to grow exponentially. Treasury projects that it will have to borrow another $677 billion in the next quarter. New figures show the British government is now paying the wages of nearly a quarter of the whole country's workforce. The BBC's Faisal Islam said there are concerns about the sustainability of the program, which is costing the government nearly $10 billion US dollars. On the one hand, the government will say this is a sign of success, that their plan to provide a bridge from one side to another, to park these workers so they can just be sort of taken out of the fridge and reheated after the pandemic passes, well, that, they'll feel confident that that has worked. But the cost is around the same per month as the NHS. And I think that there are some conversations about how expensive this is and how they might want to wind this down slowly, but that could create some problems with those companies that might want to look at how many jobs they need to lose and also also the issue of indeed how much this costs to the taxpayer. More than eight billion US dollars has been pledged to help develop a coronavirus vaccine and fund research into the disease. More than 30 countries took part in an online summit. One notable absentee from the summit was the United States, which is working on its own vaccine. The summit was hosted by the president of the EU Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. In the space of just a few hours, we have collectively pledged 7.4 billion euros for vaccines, diagnostics and treatments. And all this money will help kickstart unprecedented global cooperation. And it will create a truly unique global public good. This is the true power of unity and of humanity. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. We're hearing from New York in the first part of the programme today how different areas of the city and different races are being affected by the pandemic there. What ethnic and cultural forces make a difference? Later, we're going to be talking after nine o'clock about the plan to issue reusable masks and the latest COVID-19 situation in Hong Kong and the possibility of relaxing certain measures. As ever, we want to 
to hear from you. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or best of all, give us a call. The number is 233-88266, if you want to comment. Uh, yesterday we were having, we were discussing various aspects of the uh, coronavirus and also uh, the return of uh, demonstrations. On that topic, we've got an email from uh, Toby, uh, who is a, a serving uh, policeman. He says, apologies for the delay. He got called to a meeting before he could send it. Anyway, Toby says, uh, referring to yesterday's guest, Lee Chuck Yan, Lee Chuck Yan is being disingenuous at best. At worst, he's lying. Police use force to counter riotous violence, not the other way round. There are numerous videos of this happening. He should not be allowed to go unchallenged on this point. He always claims that it is police use of force that comes first. He and others who support the rioters' actions always try to justify the violence and destruction by the rioters with an equivocal claim that, quote, we condemn violence by all but, then go on to claim that we have to understand why the rioters are destroying property, attacking anyone who disagrees with them. They simply cannot be allowed to justify this stance unchallenged. However, they will not change as they know it will alienate their supporter base. That comes uh, from Toby of a backchat at rthk.hk uh, email address and we'll be talking mostly politics uh, in tomorrow's programme uh, and Mike um, who you may remember yesterday I I, uh, I called out on uh, him quoting a statement by a, a Japanese Nobel Prize winner uh, Dr Honjo that was uh, proved to be false uh, Mike says my bad I went back and looked at the original comment and should have known that a Japanese professor is never going to call someone a liar uh, this Tasuku article was sent as a small adjunct to a larger story that you for some reason avoided to comment on I will paste that here and see if it rings a bell this was the main topic for interesting items during the vacation yet no comment question mark are the CCP listening evaluating your performance lol that comes uh, from Mike if they are I'm sure they're very disappointed uh, Mike uh, says so this is an earlier email which I think I read out but I'm, I'm not sure uh, Mike says to your Canadian guest the virus started on October the 1st not January three months later according to sciencemag.org if you listen to Miss Canada's Lin Yevan West's Cold War with the Communist Party Miss Canada Lin Yevan spoke at the Oxford Union on the Cold War against the Communist Party and the Chinese Communist Party virus on March the 31st, saying that the Communist Party is hostile to Western values. I thought this was an eye-opening talk from someone that's lived this experience and not only opined on the issue. Another interesting interview was one with the Chinese ambassador to Australia and the threats China made to Australia if they continue to investigate the origins of the virus. Threaten a country for investigating? Question mark. That comes uh, from Mike. Thank you for much indeed for that back chat at rthk.hk uh, as ever is our email uh, address if you want to comment on uh, any aspect of uh, what we're talking about uh, today or any other day joining us now we have professor melody goodman uh, associate dean for research and associate professor of biostatistics at the new york university school of global public health professor goodman good morning to you good day to you thank you very much indeed for for joining us now Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, so we've been hearing reports that uh, uh, in New York, at any rate, and, and perhaps in other places ar around the U.S., that the uh, COVID nineteen has had a disproportionate effect on, uh, in particular, on African American communities. Um, uh, what's the evidence for that? What have you been finding? So we're seeing both 
from the data that we have in terms of both testing um, and diagnosis, but also mainly from fatalities, that African Americans are being disproportionately um, in, uh, getting the disease, but mainly uh, suffering from mortality from the disease. And, you know, that's due to a lot of different factors, um, but one of the main factors is that many African Americans are working in the jobs that we now consider essential services. Um, and particularly in New York, we live in really dense housing. We live on top of each other. Um, and so if one person in your house is an essential worker, essentially everyone in your house is at risk. Um, we live in smaller living quarters, particularly in New York City, and so it's really hard to self-isolate or self-quarantine if you live in a household with others. And so we're seeing the compounding effects of also higher rates of heart disease and diabetes in the African-American community. And really the COVID is really showing the structural system um, in the American public health system. Um, Dr. Goodman, how, how about the um, uh, hygiene part um, uh, of, of these uh, you know, smaller living quarters? Are they less clean than uh, you know, other quarters in New York as well? No, it's, it's not. I mean, there are some places where there are hygiene issues, but in the most part, this is not a hygiene issue. This is really, if one person in your household has COVID and you only have one restroom, it is unlikely that you're going to sanitize that restroom after someone uses it each use. And so then it's more likely if you're sharing the restroom with someone who is infected that you're going to get infected. Or if you're living in close proximity, sharing a bedroom um, or a sleeping space with someone who's infected that you're going to get infected. So it's less about um, how hygienic people are being and, and more about this is a really contagious virus and people are living in close spaces. Uh, you said, what, what about the uh, con the rate of contracting the disease? You said mortality is definitely higher among African-American. Uh, what about the actual catching it in the first place? So, yes, we're seeing higher incidence rates, like I mentioned before, because many African-Americans are in those essential services. They work in grocery stores. They do delivery. They work in our transit system. They're police officers. Um, and this is the, there are many of the essential services, grocery stores, pharmacies, and the like. And so they're out more, and anyone who's out more has a higher chance of getting COVID. Um, and the way we've designated essential services, we really require certain segments of our population here in the U.S. to work, and that is mainly consisting of African-American and Latino-American populations. Uh, what about the situation of masks? Uh, you know, in Asia, we don't really mind wearing masks, and so we have uh, street cleaners and we have those in essential services being provided with masks, and I think that has reduced, um, you know, their chances of getting infected. Are these people provided with masks at all? Um, the, in New York State, um, they were in the park giving out masks. I think people can find masks, but I do think there's a cultural difference. This is the first time in my life that I've ever worn a mask out in public. It is not something that we've done in this country before. Um, and so it seems really foreign to us, and it's, I think it takes um, us longer to adapt, whereas I think in some Asian countries, people are sort of used to this practice. Um, it's more culturally acceptable. Um, and people are sort of aware of it, particularly in the black community. Um, African-American men um, are sometimes targeted by the police, and so wearing a mask for them is a double-edged sword in terms of um, being out in public with something covering their face or they perceive as a threat versus someone who's trying to protect society from a public health emergency. Uh, and is this true across the U.S.? Uh, is there research on that? Yeah, there's lots of research on... Um, African-American men in, in interactions with police officers. 
Um, and there's been incidences where African-American men have been actually stored because they have masks on. Um, and so, you know, our society has some deep structural issues that we still have to deal with. Um, so on top of it not being culturally something people are used to, there are particular groups that I think are targeted when they try to adapt to these practices that make it harder um, for, for large segments of the population to do this type of thing. Mm. Uh, I've seen figures on on uh, mortality among different ethnic groups in in, in the U.S. Uh, with Asians as the the lowest, and and then whites, and then African Americans, and then um, uh, Hispanics uh, as the highest. Uh, it, um, what's going on there? Is that again? Is that mostly kind of uh, related to uh, uh, wealth, or or what? Or is it cultural practices, or what? I think it's Factors. Mm. I think why we're seeing um, low uh, rates in Asian populations is that many people who are Asian and live in the U.S. are still really connected to their families back in Asia, who culturally are more likely to wear masks um, and are used to this sort of practice. And so I think they were wearing masks in their community um, much earlier. Um, even though New York City is a melting pot, we still tend to live in really segregated spaces, so people tend to live around people of their same race. And so if you culturally practice something, um, then it's more likely that that population will be less infected, and if there's less infection, there's less mortality. Um, I think in terms of the high rates in African Americans, one of the things that we know that affects the mortality of disease is pre-existing conditions or pre-morbid conditions, and African Americans in this country share a disproportionate burden of lots of chronic disease, hypertension, diabetes, kidney disease, lots of diseases that make them um, more susceptible if they get COVID. So they're, also, they're more likely to to get COVID, and then they're also more likely to die from it. So it's basically a double whammy um, in terms of the differences between racial groups. These sound like pretty kind of deep-seated problems. Is there anything uh, in the short term that you can do, or even in the medium term, to to uh, rebalance this? I don't think that we can fix some of the structural issues in the short term, but I do think that we can make better investments in our public health system. Many people in the U.S. have never lived through a pandemic before, um, and I, so I think when it's time to balance budgets, public health is one of the things that people cut because they don't realize how much it impacts their lives until the time like this. And now I think people will be more willing to invest in our public health infrastructure so that when things like this happen, we are better prepared to address them. But also really in public health science, um, we're working a lot to find a vaccine, but I think we have to work just as much to convince people to take that vaccine when it's available. And that's why public health science is really important. And so those are the two things that I think we really hope comes out of this, is really more investment in public health in this country. One of the things that people are suggesting is that um, countries that went through SARS, the original SARS, were better prepared when this one hit because they had learned lessons from that and had good infrastructure in place. So we're hoping that that's what happens in the U.S. in this case. So what are some of, some of the things that should be included in this public health infrastructure, in particular, you know, as it relates to, um, like, African-American communities or Hispanic-American um, communities? So we should really think about um, racial equity as a public health issue. The reason why um, these racial disparities were detected was because in Milwaukee they decided that racism was a public health issue, and so they, they provide all of their data by race. And it wasn't until we saw data by race that we could really see um, what was going on. And so really having the data infrastructure that allow us to detect where problems are. Um, and also really thinking about health in all of our policies. So any policies that we make around housing and education, but really think about the health implications of those policies. 
Um, and the American Public Health Association, which is a professional organization here in the U.S. of public health professionals, has really pushed having a health in all policy focus, where any policy that comes um, before our legislators really considered for the health implications. Um, and then really thinking about um, giving resources according to need, so making sure that we have an equity focus at our work. I think what the pandemic has shown us is that we really are interconnected, and so it's important that we care about our most vulnerable citizens and make sure that they have the right to health um, and access to good health care um, and the same services as someone who works a job and has great insurance because if they get sick and they work in a grocery store, then this could impact anyone, right? And so this is, I think, really giving Americans a sense of how interconnected we are and that we really need to think about our most vulnerable populations and making sure that they're uh, treated as fairly and as best as they could. Mm. Uh, you, do you live in New York? Do you live in downtown? Or? I I live in New York City, yeah. Mm. Uh, tell us about your experience. What's it been like? How's the lockdown been for, for you and your your friends and family? Um, it's been an interesting experience. Um, New York is locked down, but um, lock, it takes lots of essential workers to keep food to everyone. I live in a large apartment complex. I pretty much only go out to walk my dog, but I am out um, every day. I find that on nicer days, there's definitely more people out um, than on days where the weather is not so nice. Um, for me, I'm a statistician by training, so I don't mind being by myself with my thoughts and my computer a lot. Um, but I know that for many people who are super social, um, this has been really hard. I've been hosting a weekly happy hour on Zoom with my friends, um, just so that we can really stay socially connected, even though we're physically distant from each other. And so I suggest that people do the same sort of thing. And for those people who can't really work remotely, um, uh, are the subways still open and they have to go to work every day? Is, is that how it was? Well, it really depends. Um, so if you're working in essential service, you have to go to work every day. But if you're working in like a retail floor that's closed, you are now unemployed, which is an even harder, I think, thing to deal with in terms of health. We know that the coronavirus is a killer, but poverty is also a real killer. And to push people... Um, into our country, into poverty, we're, we're sort of balancing two things that are really hard um, to balance. And I think our government is trying their best to put out stimulus packages, but I think we really have to think about our common citizens who are really struggling um, to get through this epidemic, particularly people who are already living paycheck to paycheck before this happened. Um, this can really destroy someone's financial situation who was already living sort of in a tense situation before this started. It is a lot worse in New York, isn't it? Is there a feeling that New York is kind of exceptional in, in, in the U.S. in this respect? Um, yes. I mean, I definitely think um, the New York is a global city, um, and so most places probably had one patient, zero. I hypothesized that we probably had probably several people on several different flights come in with COVID at the same time, and we were behind on testing and a really dense population. Um, people are really interconnected in New York, so even though we have classes like everywhere else, everyone takes the subway, rich, poor, black, brown, white, right? And so um, we were in spaces with people who you may not think would be connected to each other, but the subway is a place where everyone connects. Um, and as COVID is on our subways, and that is a really hard thing to sort of battle. Um, I think you guys may have heard that they're trying to disinfect the New York City subways. Um, I'd be impressed. I've lived in New York since I was, I was born and raised here. Um, I don't think I've ever seen our subways clean, so it'd be nice to see them clean um, for the first time. And, and what about uh, in general? Are, are people more aware that they should disinfect their own homes and uh, the neighborhood? 
and the shops? I think people are more aware. People are definitely pitching in. So there's been people in my building that were making masks. Um, when masks were hard to get, they were sewing cloth masks for neighbors. Um, we have older people in our building, and we've been making sure that people are signed up to make sure that they have food and the things that they need if they can't get out and get to where they need to go. So I think um, our governor is right. New Yorkers are really tough, but we're also a really loving community. And in times of crisis, we really stand together and hold each other up. Um, we're still clapping every night at 7 p.m. for the healthcare workers and all our frontline heroes. So I think there's a real sense of community in New York. If that's the silver lining to this dark cloud, is that people are really pulling together. And New Yorkers are strong. We're tough group of people. We've seen um, bad things, and, and unfortunately for us, this is happening to us worse. But I think New Yorkers know how to handle bad things pretty well. Um, and that's what you're sort of seeing. And we still see people out. Uh, jogging and walking their dogs and sort of carrying on about life. And for the most part, people are trying to keep upbeat. And I think there's been a real focus on people maintaining their mental health um, and trying to get people into spaces where um, they don't feel socially isolated because we're asking people to be physically distant from one another. What's the mask situation like? Do most people, <laughs> are most people wearing masks in most situations? Um, I think it, I think it really depends on, on where you are. Um, I would say, if I had to guess, I would say probably 70% of people are wearing that um, on the day-to-day when I'm out. Um, I think people are really struggling. So when I say 70%, it's because I've seen people walking with a mask in their hand as they drink their coffee. Um, and I've seen people um, on the phone with the mask below their chin, so they have it on, but it's not covering their face. And I think this is partly cultural for us. We've never had to do this before. Um, and so I think many New Yorkers are really trying to adjust um, to this new life. And I guess there's some people who are just not going to wear a mask, but I think they're in the minority. And I think um, other New Yorkers will check you if they think you're not doing the right thing. So I worry about people who don't wear masks. I think they will be told by other New Yorkers that they should be wearing a mask. I think I'm more concerned about, about people not wearing masks properly because it's just something that we're not used to. And I think sometimes unconsciously, um, the new iPhone requires your face to unlock it in an easy way, and so I think a lot of people pull their Mac down to unlock their phones. So I think we're just doing things that we normally do, but we're not thinking about the consequences of it, if that makes sense. Mm. Right. But is it easy to buy masks now? You can get them anywhere? It's easy to buy masks now. I would say this is probably the first week where I think it has been easy to buy masks. The first few weeks, it was really impossible, but... Um, like I said, we had neighbors that were sewing masks. There were lots of young kids that were making um, some masks that I think were cooler than the ones that you get um, from for medical reasons. Um, we saw lots of people wearing bandanas. So people were wearing face coverings even when they couldn't um, get their hands on masks. I just think it's really for us to get culturally used to wearing the mask and not taking the mask off when we're out in public. Mm. We're going to be talking about masks uh, ourselves in the second part of Back Chat after, after nine o'clock. Um, I, there's reports also that the mayor has said that he's going to give away uh, in New York, as they're going to do in Hong Kong, uh, some seven and a half million face coverings to uh, prevent uh, coronavirus spread. Um, do you know anything more about that? What, what that would amount to? What kind of uh, face coverings and how that would go down? Um, so they were in the park on Saturday in the park in my neighborhood giving out masks um, mm-hmm. to people in the park. And I know that they've gone to the low-income housing and giving out masks to residents in our public housing. Um, so I think there's a variety of different strategies that the city is trying to use um, to get masks to people who may have trouble uh, getting them. 
Uh, we have talked about the African um, American community. Uh, I would like to ask you uh, about the Asian community. We have read Facebook posts that, um, you know, when Asians wear masks in the United States, they sometimes they are being bullied um, as they walk down the street. Um, are there any such cases in New York? Um, I don't think they have to be wearing a mask. I think, unfortunately, some people um, have seen this um, as, an, as something that is caused by Asians and that um, for some reason they think that yelling at them or being mean to them is going to make things better. I, I don't really understand that logic, which is why you hear some hesitation um, in my voice. But there has been um, an increase um, in racially biased incidents in our city. I still think that tends to be in the minority. New York City is a very diverse place. We used to have people from all different places around the world. I think people love New York because it is so diverse. Um, but there's always a few bad apples in every batch, and I feel like, unfortunately, some New Yorkers, and I think it's happening all over the country, probably in some other places more than in New York City, where Asian Americans are being targeted um, just because of their uh, ethnicity. Um, and I just don't really see, like, in a time like this, how does that help anything? Um, it just doesn't make anything better. And so I've been delighted to see, particularly in my community, that people are really banding together, supporting each other, and trying to help each other get through this. Um, and I hope that speaks to more with Americans about than a few incidents of people who are not behaving themselves properly. And what about the longer-term sort of financial prospects? Are people thinking about that? Are people worried about that? Are there any plans to, to address the, uh, the financial and economic impact? I think it's really hard because... For the most part, we don't know when it's going to end. So it's hard to plan financial recovery when you're still sort of going through um, a process. I do think um, everyone is thinking about their finances, no matter what their financial circumstances are. But I do think there are some communities here that are extremely vulnerable um, and are waiting for stimulus checks from the government that are taking longer to come than seems to be necessary. And I think that's a hard challenge. I mean, there's been mines that are food banks that have been longer than we've ever seen before, so there's more people with food insecurity. Um, and so that's, that's not a good sign in terms of where our economy is. But I will say I think that people have really been pitching in and making sure that the food banks have resources, that they can serve larger groups of people. Um, it's been interesting to see um, individual citizens really step up. It's been interesting to see local city and state governments really step up um, in this crisis. Um, I think people appreciate what they have and are willing to give to those um, who may not have as much and really support efforts to do that. I know our food bank in New York City um, can use donations, so if you're able to donate, please donate to our food bank. I think really trying to make sure that Americans are fed um, and have their basic necessities is a real, a real priority. Particularly the longer we go through this, the financial situation becomes harder and harder for people if they don't have any income Right. Um, going back to a, a bigger public health issue, statistically, African-Americans are more prone to have um, diseases such as diabetes, hypertension and asthma. That's what I just read uh, from uh, an article. Now, how could we do more for um, African-Americans um, in, in the future to ensure that they are also healthy? So uh, if a pandemic strikes again, um, they are not uh, more prone than others to, to be affected because they have pre-existing conditions. I think we really need to make investments in neighborhoods that have been systematically disinvested in. 
So there's some neighborhoods where it's really hard to access fresh fruits and vegetables, and it's really hard to get healthy food, but it's much easier to get fast food. There's a wealth of fast food restaurants and places that sell tobacco and alcohol and the like. Um, it's hard to find um, green spaces where people can be active for free. And so I think we need to really think about redesigning our city so that we put health first and we make people's access to healthy food um, easier and more affordable. I think we really need to think about our food chain in this country. I do think the pandemic has really shown people a lot about where their food comes from and what happens to their food. Um, and we need to really think through about what types of food we're eating, where our food comes from, and how do we get fresh fruits and vegetables into the hands of people who need it most. And then I think we also have to really think through our health care system. We really have a sick care system in this country. People tend to only go to the doctor when they're sick. Um, but as a public health professional, the best way to cure a disease is to prevent it. And so we really need to think about all the structures and the systems that need to be in place to help people live healthy lives and prevent them from ever developing diabetes. And we know a lot about what needs to happen both at the societal level and the individual level to make that happen. It's a matter of if we have the will, the political resources, and the financial resources to set those sorts of plans into place. But when we make investments in our community, I think they will show us the rewards in return when we have healthy people that are contributing to our economy, um, kids that are going to school and learning a lot and producing science and being great citizens. And so I think there's some benefits um, to us really thinking through how we structurally set up our society, particularly how we set up our communities, and how we should redesign them in the future to make them more healthier spaces for people to live. Okay, well, Dr. Goodman, thank you, Professor Goodman, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Mike in an email says, diabetes and heart disease, you need to say no more. If you are white or Asian or Latino with diabetes and heart disease, you are in trouble with COVID. That's from uh, Mike. Professor Goodman, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Associate Dean for Research and Associate Professor Biostatistics at the New York University School of Global Public Health. We're going to be talking about masks and mask distribution uh, in Hong Kong in the second part of the programme after the news at night. Drop us a line, backchat.rthk.hk, interesting comments on our Facebook page as well, which we will get to then after the news and the weather. Mainly fine, hot again, temperatures up to about 32 degrees today uh, and uh, there'll be a few showers early next week. 27 degrees now, relative humidity is at 80%. Only a patients who tested negative for the flu to see if they had actually had COVID-19. Out of 24 samples, one was positive for the disease. The patient recovered after being ill for two weeks. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. We were talking in the first part of the programme uh, this morning about uh, New York catching up on the, what's been happening there and hearing in particular about uh, racial disparity in uh, uh, in uh, COVID-19, how that's it's, uh, exposing problems uh, in the United States. Uh, we're turning to the issue primarily of masks uh, in the second part of the uh, programme today. This is after the uh, uh, announcement for, by the uh, government um, that the the uh, Innovation and Technology Bureau uh, uh, will uh, be distributing uh, quite soon some seven and a half reusable, seven and a half million uh, reusable masks to uh, all Hong Kong uh, residents. We'll be talking about the how that's uh, going to work, um, the pros and cons of that, uh, with Felix Chung, leader of the uh, Liberal Party, uh, in a moment. We're also going to be joined later by Joseph Lee, the healthcare sector uh, lawmaker. If you want to comment, uh, please call us, 233 Join the conversation, or you can email backchat at RTHK 
uk.hk. Okay, um, some thoughts. Matthew says, I don't understand why we are discussing the impact of the Wuhan-originated virus on ethnic groups in New York City. On your RTHK Radio 1 sister programme this morning, they have Holden Chow and Chu Hoi Dick talking about the crisis in LegCo that is about to explode on Friday because the LegCo president has decided to take an external legal opinion which suits him and the CCP and overall precise advice on LegCo. Legco's own legal advice. That is what we should be discussing. Uh, read the mask idea. It's more than three months late, and after we gave all, or we gave all, spent thousands of dollars on masks and too much time finding them. It's insulting and frustrating to Hong Kong people to do it now. That comes uh, from Matthew. Uh, Matthew, we will be talking about politics uh, later in the week. Plenty to talk about as well. Anthony on Facebook says, "Can you expand your program from one hour to two hours? It's not enough for the discussion." Uh, Barbara says, uh, "Hong Kong people are smart to learn lessons from SARS to save themselves. Well, even if the Hong Kong government always responded a little late. Speaking of the washable masks, I think it's a good idea to give everyone for free, since a mask has become a necessity of daily life. Who knows if the virus could make one more wave later before the vaccine comes? Well prepared for the worst uh, always. And Tom says it's been nice to see your occasional guest, Dr. Eric. I think that's Dr. Ding, Eric Ding, uh, shift focus." in his media work from criticising China to trying to help people in America and encouraging mask wearing. Hong Kong has been very successful in stamping out the virus and it appears mask wearing is the largest factor. Refreshing to see everyone in Hong Kong on the same side on this issue and COVID-19 efforts have not been politicised much at all by either side compared to what we were seeing in the US right now. That comes uh, from Tom, who I, I think is uh, American. And uh, S uh, says, uh, Tommy Chung, an Exco member, said that rules on restaurants should be relaxed as long as people take basic precautions. And one of them he mentioned was as long as people wear masks. Really, Tommy, in restaurants? That comes uh, from S, backchat at rthk.hk. It's our email address. Uh, Felix Chung, good morning to you. Thank, Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, I, I know you had discussed and your industry, um, uh, textiles and garments, had discussed um, plans to uh, manufacture masks uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, what do you make of the uh, this, uh, this government announcement? And, and what do we know about um, who's going to be making these masks? Um, of course, um, we just got this news from uh, Professor Yoon on last Sunday. Uh, saying that the government is going to uh, deliver um, a re re reusable masks for everybody in Hong Kong. I mean, this is certainly a good news, and uh, it's good to know that. But, of course, if it ca could have been done two months earlier, that would be much, much better. Um, we understand that the situation of the COVID-19 is getting better in Hong Kong, but still uh, the professional uh, medical expert saying that it might last for uh, for a while. So we still need the mask. So now this time the government is delivering everybody in Hong Kong a reusable mask. Uh, this is good. What I understand is uh, the mask is uh, produced by the Hong Kong uh, Textile, Re Textile Apparel Research Center. I mean, this is the product or, or research the product developed by them. I believe that this should be made in China because in Hong Kong there's no capacity to make 7 billion of this, this type of reusable mask. So uh, I, I, I certainly believe that is made in China. Right. Do, do you know um, uh, 
uh, how 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 safe it is? It's just um, a regular cloth mask uh, with filters. Um, that's what I've read, and it can I, only be I used. Uh, well, um, what I understand, this mask is uh, a very um, uh, advanced uh, mask. It's not just a normal fabric mask. Uh, it has the function of it should have the function of antibacterial and reusable and washable. So um, let let's. Let's let the government to announce that the probably within this week, and and uh, we we know more about that. What I understand is uh, the Hong Kong Research, the research center, have made a Mars and already got a award or prize from uh, uh, from the Geneva Innovations um, um, Award two two years ago. So probably I think this is a very advanced Mars. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm 100 percent sure uh, if it is that one, mm. or they have another improved one. So let them announce that uh, if they can do it this week. Right, uh, and and then the reason for uh, ITB, the Innovation and Technology Bureau, suddenly in charge of this is probably because they funded it. Do you think they funded the um, the research? Well, it is from the research center, the textile and apparel research center. Certainly, is funded uh, by the Hong Kong government, uh, the ITB, and I believe that the IP believe that belongs to the IT belongs to the research center too. So that means the the IP belongs to the Hong Kong government. So that's why a lot of people asking where the the government need tender for for the purchasing of this mask. If the IP and research and everything funded by the Hong Kong government, uh, I don't think uh, a tender is required. I think apart from um, uh, the government uh, sponsoring, uh, you know, a few production lines, uh, so that surgical masks, uh, you know, these one-off-use surgical masks can be made. I think you and uh, a number of um, uh, industrialists um, have also got together. And um, are you still planning to manufacture masks of any kind? Well, I'm doing I'm doing uh, something similar in Hong Kong, um, but you know, the demand for masks is huge. And uh, not just Hong Kong, we can do export to anywhere in the world. Uh, but for those, you, you know, uh, the government is funding um, 20 um, disposable surgical masks in Hong Kong. Uh, but for those that are funded by the Hong Kong government, they ha- they might have a, 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 a new problem. Is if the government is giving out a reusable masks for six, they can be used for 60 days which means everybody in Hong Kong do not have to purchase any masks for another two months. So for those who are funded, the production line, who are funded by the Hong Kong government doing the surgical masks or disposable masks, then they they might have excessive production now because they are not, if they are funded by the Hong Kong government, they are not allowed to do export. They're only allowed to to, um, supply to the local market in Hong Kong. So if the government is giving out reusable masks, so all these disposable masks are all in ex- uh, are all in uh, oversupply. Right, uh, but but that will only last for sixty days. I guess the government is not going to give out a mask to everybody again in two months' time. So eventually, uh, having more production line is is not a bad idea. No, oh, certainly it's not a bad idea. But I mean. Um, then um, 
I, I hope that the, the COVID-19 situations can be eased uh, in a very short period of time so everybody don't have to wear masks. Um, but of course, um, have more protection is certainly a good thing for, for Hong Kong people. Do, do you know something about about this? How this works? Is is it like a conventional mask? I mean, they've got filters. So, do you have sixty filters with it, or how would that work? Or do you well, wash I the have, filter? Does anyone know? Uh, so, well, such that I, I have no idea about the technical mm. size. Uh, what uh, was announced by Professor uh, Yun on Sunday, he did mention that. Um, this mask may need to have the filter and we need to change the filter um, uh, when necessary. So the, the other problem I may raise is if you need the filter, if the gov- can the government provide sufficient filter for everybody? Uh, if not, then where can we get the filter? Or people have to queue for, to buy filter instead of queue to buy uh, the mask. So the government have to clarify that when they make the announcement, if they are planning to do that this week. So this is another important issue because the filter is the critical part to protect um, to protect um, the penetration of virus or bacteria from outside. Does this come as a surprise to you? Uh, we have all been um, searching for masks uh, in uh, early February and, you know, all the way into March. And the government did not really uh, announce that. Um, and they are also doing uh, this huge research and probably manufacturing them already uh, in China. Does it well, surprise this, you? Well, well, certainly this is the, the problem of the Hong Kong government. I mean, if everybody remember in February and March, everybody's queuing, chasing for face masks and is sort of supply. And a lot of the criticize is saying, why the government not providing um, the, the whole Hong Kong community a mask to protect everybody? But at that time, the government did say that they're not going to do that. But I mean, have they that announced that, that that they are planning to do a reusable mask and tell everybody that to come down, that we have, have plans for that. I mean, that that's should um, make the whole community more comfortable. Mm. So, I mean, this is the problem of uh, the way of the government handling um, the crisis. I mean, to produce masks for everybody in Hong Kong is a good thing. I mean, if they have that plan, they should have told everybody just wait and and um, be patient. But I mean, at that time, it certainly creates a lot of um, um, uncertainty to the Hong Kong people because um, the professional um, medical experts saying that everybody have to wear masks, but Hong Kong didn't have enough masks, and the government didn't have any policy to say that how um, the government could provide sufficient smarts for the Hong Kong people. Okay, well, Felix Chung, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Liberal Party leader, textiles and uh, garment sector lawmaker. Thank you very much indeed. I bring the time to 16 minutes past nine. Uh, Jay in an email says, as we see, England and America is run by idiots who are more interested in cure than prevention. 
in Asia, we do not have a very good pension system, so money is not a problem. Therefore, to wear a mask for prevention of sickness is very important. America and Europe are more interested in the dollar and pension budgets, and in the end, the excuse of corporations producing vaccine. It doesn't how much, matter how much money you have. If you don't have immediate supplies of masks and clothing, you're stuffed. Good on Hong Kong because people managed to source many supplies, unlike the incompetent governments. That comes uh, from Jay. Joining us now, as mentioned, is uh, Joseph Lee, the healthcare sector uh, lawmaker. Mr Lee, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us. Um, what about, first of all, about, about, about the mask situation, so that, so that announcement? Uh, what, what do you make of that uh, uh, kind of surprising announcement over the weekend? A lot of astonish uh, this time the government didn't announce that there's a relief measure of uh, free masks for all Hong Kong citizens, uh, especially this mask is uh, kind of, well, my understanding is that we should reusable cloth masks, and which uh, the source said that, well, we do have to uh, wash it, it's washable, and also the change of filter, and it would be very interesting. And I, I, I believe that is a kind of political gesture that the government would like to show the children of Hong Kong that uh, they are being under care. But unfortunately, uh, most of the response from the uh, citizens around is uh, either not timely, is too late, or can't help that kind of response. Uh, uh, that's the, the initial observation. Uh, as for uh, some practicality, I guess um, if the government is going to protect the citizens by um, issuing free masks for all Hong Kong citizens, then the first um, question I would like to ask is, well, is the protection enough? Is this kind of so-called reusable cloth mask will, uh, 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 um, up to a kind of protective level like uh, will be accredited by the ASTM or uh, equipment to a kind of surgical mask that would be a level one level two? That kind of question. The system asks, is this uh, uh, cloth mask able to filter the bacteria or, or also the virus? And that is the common question. And the second thing I would like to ask is um, are the, the practicality. If uh, the uh, people is going to um, wash this mask because they have to um, use it, the latest research by uh, Open University in April, um, uh, about at least 35% of people try to reuse their surgical mask without a proper kind of disinfection. And especially for the age group over 60, and most of them try to reuse the surgical mask. Uh, it, it would be good, in quotation, that um, they, they, they can have a kind of um, free, we use a re, um, washable cloth mask, but the point is how to maintain it, how to sustain it, if, if they're going to change the filter, who's going to supply the filter, with the filter up to the kind of standard line uh, to have um, at least PM 2.5, that kind of uh, capability of filtering uh, virus and bacteria. All sorts of questions will related to whether this project will be continuously okay or not. And the final thing is uh, financial implication. And not just the uh, 8 million, uh, 800 million, whether it's a, con a contact, uh, tender or contract or not, but for a a an individual, who is going to be responsible for the future, the government supply continuously, or the uh, individual has to bear the, its own cost of buying the filter if the filter is very expensive. So the people give up to buy a filter, they simply use a, a, a cloth mask. Then the protection issue will come to play. All sorts of questions are unclear at, at this stage. Mm. As a legislator for the healthcare sector, you have not heard of anything like that before the announcement? 
that is from the news yesterday uh, on Sunday. That is the, uh, 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 a whole different news. I was very astonished, especially when, well, apart from all this issue I just mentioned, I think it would be very astonished that number one is the people, uh, if you remember, to be, uh, the government have already launched a project in March, and uh, we claim that but uh, the project is going to sponsor Turnkey Production Line in Hong Kong. Hopefully, will uh, produce at least um, 42 million uh, surgical masks per month. And if that is going to uh, use, uh, that is, uh, is to, uh, to be the case. So why the government still have to uh, issue a reusable cloth mask? Uh, well, I, I, I think it's a single issue. Uh, I think it's just one time. So. Uh, why, why will use it? the government still use that? Uh, and that is number one. Uh, number two is uh, a source told us that, um, uh, you, as you can see from the Facebook, that uh, this project for uh, uh, reusable cloth masks will start from 2017, starting by the Innovation and uh, uh, Technology Bureau. It's a, a kind of experiment. It's going to um, try to uh, find our kind of um, suitable, reusable cloth masks, and uh, basically uh, the, the base is from, uh, on the China's model, so the, all the production is in China. But all this sort of source makes us very confused whether this uh, kind of project is, is a really relief project or is a kind of continuity from the technical uh, uh, Innovation Technology Bureau. So uh, it's basically uh, uh, based on China uh, produce uh, reusable cloth masks, then they're going to, the, the government is going to spend 800 million to buy all these masks for Hong Kong City at one off time. Uh, all this issue, yes, to be clarified in the Legislative Council. Uh, but aren't these, I mean, it may not be perfect, but at least it's something. It's better than nothing, isn't it? And, you know, the, there may be questions about the effectivity of the mask, but we're not all healthcare workers, and, and something is better than nothing. Well, that is true if you uh, think that that is better than none and you give a, uh, you, you give a mass, uh, a reusable mask to all Hong Kong citizens, increase the protection. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of questions yet to solve before the government uh, spend its public money properly. Uh, I think 800 million is not, uh, it's a lot of public money. So the government has to justify why at this stage the government try to use it, especially when uh, you can see that but the supply of surgical masks uh, seems quite um, plenty at this stage. As uh, one of the Taikun League, I think, just mentioned that uh, his production line can produce um, at least uh, 10 million um, surgical face masks at a suitable uh, level one type, that kind of protection uh, later, and uh, only at a very low cost, that is um, at, uh, at around 80 Hong Kong dollar per uh, 30 pack. So. Well, that, that would be an indicator, uh, an, indicator, an indicator that the supply of surgical masks to the general public will be quite um, plenty. So at this stage, why spend a lot of public money to uh, issue um, reusable cloth masks which have to replace the filter at this stage? It's quite confused. Mm. I guess um, having something free um, is always uh, quite, you know, acceptable by many people. But what about healthcare workers? For sure, uh, you you need a minimum protection level. Um, maybe um, need more certification uh, than a regular cloth mask. Um, what, what, how do you see healthcare professionals benefiting from this? Well, 
I guess this project was nothing uh, related to health care for the protection of health workers. As you can see, uh, we are now still chasing the hospital authority to review the situation, whether the stop-up of PPE, especially surgical masks, uh, protection cloth, protective cloth, that kind of stuff, is up to the minimum standards. Uh, unfortunately, I think the hospital authority is now uh, still not able to uh, tell us that uh, the stop-ups uh, that would be uh, still up to standard. Uh, as you can see, even though the uh, situation now is quite mild in Hong Kong as far as the first confirmed case uh, or the local confirmed case is going to um, uh, very slow or even for the past 40 or 50 days, is still uh, a zero. But the, the, as you can see, in hospitals still a lot of confirmed cases and um, healthcare workers still to take care of. So uh, what we are trying to strike for is the um, protection and safety of the frontline healthcare worker, make sure that they are get not being not causing no cause infection, and so they are being safe in performing their duty to protect it. Have you got the PPE? Is that is that available? Because there were concerns about you know supply, which I haven't heard for a while. Is that because there, you know that you have got the equipment now? Well, at this stage, um, the sources told us that um, the supply of PPE at the front line is still being regulated. Uh, because the stock ups is not uh, still up, not up to a female standard, that is quite disappointing. So uh, the Association of Hong Kong Nursing Staff and I myself, if are the colleagues, is now um, monitoring the uh, or, or um, monitoring the HA the hospital authority uh, to uh, fulfil the uh, stock up process. So what what kind of things are in shortage? Uh, is it the uh, the PPE or is it N95 or other things? So, uh, a PPE research uh, done by the, uh, the Association of Hong Kong staff two weeks ago indicated that um, the um, uh, N95 masks, I, I mean the suitable model, because, because there are a number of different models for each individual, and uh, N95 masks is still shortage, and uh, some of the infirmary or rehab hospital are still shortage of surgical masks and uh, PPE, uh, simply because uh, the hospital authority might try to concentrate all this protective equipment to the acute setting. And so they, some of the rehab uh, and infirmary hospital might be getting neglected in that sense. Right. Could the nurses, um, of course not in a dirty team, but um, you know, on regular duty, do you think they can wear cloth masks with a filter? Well, I don't think that is a kind of a wise decision because you can see, and uh, that's, uh, it, it doesn't like a community setting. In a community setting, I assume most of the community area is clean in quotation, but uh, let's, uh, on the contrary, we assume in the hospital, even though nurses are working not in isolation or dirty team, uh, most of the hospital environment are dirty in quotation. So people are encouraged to use uh, disposable stuff instead of reusable, reuse stuff. And if we, want, we try to use reusable stuff and the uh, issue of disinfection and to minimize contamination will come to play, and the cause of disinfection might be very huge. Well, uh, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, Joseph Lee there, the healthcare sector uh, lawmaker. Um, thank you very much indeed. Bankchat.rthk.hk is, uh, is our email address. Um, as ever, if you want to comment and, and, and a few messages, uh, I wanted to share before the end of the uh, programme uh, today, uh, one in from uh, uh, Jay, who says, uh, on the subject of masks, the masks used to be $55 for a box of 50. So obviously the government's making a profit here. That comes uh, from uh, David, uh, uh, who also says... 
from what I understand, Hong Kong is pumping 20% of its wealth uh, into subsidies of jobs. I want to see a government body prosecuting all those corporations that are misappropriating funds. I want to see the government forcing the banks to extend mortgages by six to nine months. I want to see the government stepping up credit cards that put society in debt. I want to see the government giving us monthly livable allowances for those who have no work. I want to see property go into negative equity instead of the government propping it up because people are still going to live in their house for 10 years and even if they sell, it's relative in Hong Kong. I want government salaries reduced because we can't sustain this. How many properties do they each need? This government has to help the falling middle class and the poor as opposed to making corporations and wealthy more wealthy. We need good government departments to weed out the white elephants in the Hong Kong government. The government could do this but won't. That comes uh, from uh, Jay. Uh, Paul uh, is... Um, what you might call a dissenting voice on masks. Paul says uh, Hong Kong's popular restaurant culture is evidence that mask wearing is not a major contributor to fighting COVID-19. As far as I can tell, all mask wearing seems to do is to encourage people to cast scorn on those who don't wear masks while giving them the false impression that they're doing the right thing. May I remind everyone that six months ago, a Swedish girl was screaming at us for destroying our future due to waste. Yet here we are throwing away disposable masks on a daily basis. An interesting public turnaround indeed. Uh, is the thought of Paul, who, as far as I know, is not a doctor. Um, Phil says, uh, this is a message for Toby, the policeman who uh, uh, communicates uh, with us. So, uh, Toby, uh, uh, listen up. Phil says, uh, did Toby agree that Lee Chuk Yan and all pro-Dem reps are disingenuous and full of it, with their never-ending refrain that police brutality stroke violence prompts protester violence? But guess what? Your minders, most notably the Hong Kong government, starting from the CE on down, are also disingenuous and full of it. A significant difference is that they are drawing significant salaries purportedly to manage the ills affecting Hong Kong society, yet they take no action. If the police and pro-Beijing faction are true to their assertions that police have only used justifiable force, there is nothing to hide. Please explain why not hold a public inquiry to expose the truth once and for all. There is no shortage of irresponsibility, cowardice and unprincipled behaviour during this protest cycle. However, those with formal power, i.e. the CE and her ministers, should be held to a higher standard. It is both their duty and within their power to make full use of public policy tools, i.e. commissions of inquiry for the greater good. They are the greater villain, and as their enforcement arm, the Hong Kong police, should be viewed with suspicion. Those thoughts uh, from Phil. Thank you very much indeed for that. Back to rthk.hk. And uh, last word going to Bowen. Uh, uh, reflecting on uh, an obs uh, 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 yesterday, uh, Bowen says uh, on the subject of uh, Bertie Russell's quote in yesterday's back chat, uh, there is nothing wrong nor is there anything particularly profound about Bertie Russell's observation quoted in yesterday's show. What's more complicated is whether they are being applied correctly in any particular situation and it looked like they weren't yesterday. Mike Rouse's involuntary outburst of approval at the end of the show of the quote in the context of yesterday's discussion is eerily telling about his post-traumatic state of mind after the spat over mask wearing and also about his political proclivities, of course. There's observations from Bowen. Thank you very much indeed from that. Ada, thank you very much indeed. Uh, here's the weather before we go. Mainly fine, hot, temperatures up to 32 degrees. Very hot with sunny periods in the next few days and then a few showers early next week. 28 degrees now. Humidity is 79%.
Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, don't hold gatherings or join large-scale activities. Event organizers should adopt contingency measures to postpone or cancel events or temporarily close facilities. The public should avoid crowded places as far as possible. Don't host or join gatherings with family and friends. Find an open space to stretch. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. 9.32, the news now with Samantha Butler. An online summit of almost 40 countries has pledged more than 8 billion US dollars towards developing a coronavirus vaccine. Donations will also fund research into the diagnosis and treatment of the disease. The United States Treasury says it will borrow a record $3 trillion US dollars between April and June in order to cope with the economic fallout from the coronavirus. This huge increase in borrowing is needed to fund the government's pandemic relief programs for individuals and businesses. And the World Health Organization has urged people not to put their faith in local untested remedies for the coronavirus. The advice comes at a time when at least four African heads of state have said they're importing large quantities of a herbal tonic, which the president of Madagascar says can cure the virus. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer Interpreter of Beethoven. Uh, also shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, this is not really for cats. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. It's Tuesday and Cinco de Mayo. Here on Morning Brew, I'm Phil Whelan. Great to be back with you. 10.10 today, we're going to find out why May the 5th is such a big day in Mexico with our friend Adriana from the awesome Hong Kong-based experimental band Dear Mix, who is Mexican. I guess we're going to play some of their tracks as well. Join us on Skype, Facebook Live Works. 10.40 is all things Aussie with Digger Watt, plus a couple of his consistently great Australian tracks. Dr. Marin Pierce after 11 today will be with Sean Martin, the brains behind the Hong Kong part, the really fun City Nature Challenge. They'll both be out somewhere. We'll join in on a meeting and again bring it to you on Facebook Live. We're back to Melbourne after 12 for our weekly session with business futurist Maurice Misalowski. That is the long and short of it today. A real classic to get things going.